From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Thursday, August 3rd. Gloria Vasquez has a big goal, to run 100 marathons before she's 100 years old. And she's well on her way. Last weekend, at 72 years old, she finished the Aspen Valley Marathon along the Rio Grande Trail. It was her 91st marathon, leaving her with nine races to go. In this audio postcard, produced for Rocky Mountain Community Radio by Hallie Zander of Aspen Public Radio, Vasquez sits in a cafe to tell her story. So my name is Gloria Vasquez, and I grew up in Colombia. I started running very early because I was the errand girl in my family, so I went to run the errand, so I had to be fast. That's why I became a runner. (laughs) I was in a bad marriage there, and my whole family was here already. And I was the last one left there with four kids by myself. My husband didn't want to come to the United States. Finally decided to leave him with my four kids because life was hard with him. He became an alcoholic and very abusive. I made the decision to leave him and I went to a far away from one part of Colombia to another part far away that he wouldn't find me. I had papers, because he was very abusive, so I had papers from the government. They would protect me with my kids. So everybody got in together, my sisters, and everybody sponsored me. And it took three years for me to come to the United States with my four kids. A blessing in the sky. The minute I touched here, I was so happy. You know what the best thing that I got here? Laundry. I don't have to do laundry anymore by hand. When my sister took me to a laundromat, you put your clothes here, they get washed, you dry them here, and you're done. I love to do laundry because I'm done. I work, um, I'm a cosmetologist. I have my own business for about 25 years. So I work really hard because I'm a single mother with, with four kids. <laughs> uh, but I make time to run always. In New York, it was a race in town. I said, oh, let me join the race. And I won the race. I was fast. I don't even think that I was that fast. One of the prize was to enter New York City Marathon. After I ran the first New York City, I was hooked. So I ran every year for, every year, for 15 years. I did New York City. I did Boston. I love to run. I just love to run. <laughs> the freedom. It's so peaceful. Any problem that I have, I run it out. When I was little and I was doing my errands in my house, at night I always dreamed that I was running so fast that I fly over the trees. I enjoy every minute of this race. I say, I don't care what time I finish, I'm going to enjoy this race because this is natural beauty. Then we run along the river, the Rio Grande, to hear the water the sound of the water while you're running. The mountains are like gorgeous. Whatever I look, I keep stopping and, and, <laughs> and take pictures and video. And uh. I met somebody at the race. He was running and he said, oh, I admire you, you're taking pictures. You're not a hurry to finish. I said, it's such a beautiful race. I'm not in a hurry. Whatever time I get there, I get there. I don't care. <laughs> so and then he started running and we taking pictures and we start talking and all of a sudden his feet were hitting him badly. But the nine mile point, he has to take off his shoes. He start walking 
barefoot. And he says, if I can stay with you, I'll be so happy. I said, don't worry, you're going to stay with me. I'm breathing this beautiful mountain, this beautiful scenery. I used to be fast. I ran Boston five times, fast. Fast and furious always. But races like this, there is such a beauty, I don't care. So I stay with him. You know, I help somebody. I love to help people. That was Gloria Vasquez, a 72-year-old runner who traveled to the Roaring Fork Valley last weekend to run her 91st marathon. She's getting close to her goal of running 100 races before she turns 100 years old. She plans to run the New York City Marathon for her final race, and after that, become a coach for other racers. This postcard was produced by Hallie Zander of Aspen Public Radio. The Southern Ute Tribe recently wrapped up a Ute-language summer education series that was open to the public. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis has this profile of Hanley Frost, the Southern Ute elder who led the workshop. I made some wordless for the kitchen and some uh, food items. At the Southern Ute Museum in Ignacio, Hanley Frost stands in a classroom in front of 15 students. The class is a mixture of tribal members and interested members of the public. Coffee cup. Coffee or watch. Coffee or watch. Hanley Frost is using phonetics to help students make some of the unfamiliar sounds in the Ute language. Coffee. 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 Spoon. enough. Hanley Frost is the elder services manager for the Southern Ute tribe. He's been teaching and sharing his Ute knowledge for eight years. Where I learned it, it's just a horch, which means cup. And he loves teaching students of any age. You can say chi enough. There's two ways of saying it. And sitting with individuals and saying words and sharing laughter, because sometimes they make mistakes, but that's all part of learning. It's a good feeling to do a small part of this. Big butter woman. (laughs) I want to save the language. I like talking with people. I'm not shy. I talk to everybody. Sharing what I learned with the membership for the ones that came, it's a gift. What's your name? Nunania Hilda Birch. My name is Hilda Birch. Hilda Birch, a Southern Ute elder, attended the class to brush up on her language skills. Just to get to feel and to hear the words again, because uh, it seems like the language has kind of dissolved, that the elders are gone. But now being an elder myself is trying to pick up the different dialects of the three different tribes. There are fewer and fewer elders who can pass the language on to younger generations. And historically, Ute people learned the language through conversation. Now, the tribes are developing apps, publishing updated dictionaries, and emphasizing phonetics so that new speakers have plenty of nonverbal resources that will help them learn. And this is just kind of a cumulative effort. Isabella Cloud works with the Southern Ute's Cultural Education Department. She says in addition to this summer class, the tribe has many other resources that are being developed. So um, there should be about three coloring books coming out sometime soon and also a language app that will consist of some um, immersion lessons and as well as a dictionary. But for this summer course, Cloud was eager to bring back one of her favorite teachers. Hanley, he's a great teacher and he's always willing to work with us. I was raised by my grandparents and 
They were fluent speakers, and that's all we were allowed to talk. When my grandfather was there, we we talked because he made it very clear that that's our first language, and that's when we're going to talk. In some cases, Hanley Frost is teaching people who have never heard a fluent speaker. Beyond the details of phonetics and definitions, he wants to share the magic of the language. It's a gift that the Creator gave to us so we could talk among each other. And it's the gift of praying to Him in our own language, directly to Him, so that way He he knows what we're talking about. Lord, I'm Clark Adamitis. You've... You. You. High school students from across the country are looking to the Mountain West to learn how to help preserve buildings from the past for future generations. A group of kids from New York City is visiting Grand Teton and Yellowstone and asking questions about our history. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Hannah Mersbach has more. Nine students are gathered in a sliver of shade under the Pink House, one of Grand Teton's historic buildings. It's a home constructed in 1938 by one of the first settlers in the area. The students are trading stories from their trip in Yellowstone, and for some, it was their first time camping. When I mean I was so close to a bison, I think I felt it <laughs> rub on the tent next to me. That's Adam Sela. It's his 18th birthday, and he says getting out of New York City has been the best way to spend it getting to like see actual real grass instead of turf and like smell fresh air instead of like pollution air like get to see like clear skies and like really hear like the silence of the birds and the animals just to really the students are on a three-week field trip to wyoming's national parks learning everything from historic masonry to log preservation and wood window repair and they're asking questions about what's important to preserve and who gets to decide Here's Sela and other students speaking with Grand Teton Superintendent Chip Jenkins. And I feel like the start of the National Park Service was to conserve our parks for the people. And it's where you put the emphasis on the last part of that sentence, right, which was for the people. This visit is a way to apply what they've been learning at the Stephen T. Mather Building Arts and Craftsmanship High School, which helps serve minority students in New York named after the first director of the National Park Service and partly funded by the parks, the school's goal is to funnel students into fields like historic preservation. This can mean restoring old homesteads, just like the Pink House. Since the modernization and industrialization of construction, you have an entirely different field of people that have to learn the old ways that we used to construct buildings in order to preserve them. So we specialize in that kind of lost and dying art of traditional trades. That's Catherine Watson, who leads programs at the Historic Preservation Training Center at Grand Teton. She says it's their first year hosting this specific program and part of a greater initiative to diversify who works in and has access to national parks. Opening up and realizing that we need to be more reflective of you know, the American population. One student, Ella Lungi, says spending time with park staff has opened her eyes to new opportunities. That whole experience made me truly like think about my future and like made me realize there were so many paths that I could take and not just be so focused on one. Ora Peduto says she's leaving the parks feeling inspired, pointing to a project the group worked on in Yellowstone. 
One of my favorite things that I've experienced is being able to see the subtle changes that we've created, like at the Norris Ranger Museum. Like, it wasn't like we did something grand, but we definitely did something that's going to help out in the future and make that building last longer. So that's something. Peduto and the others say they're excited to apply what they've learned back home in New York and maybe someday as members of the Park Service themselves. That story was brought to us by Hannah Mersbach of KHOL. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, August 3rd. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6 p.m. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.